Today, we've got, I guess, a bit of an intense topic. Uh, we're discussing the Nazi history of some well-known German companies. This week, we all picked one company of interest. I chose Hugo Boss. I chose Bayer. And I chose Dr. Etka. So, so one of my uh, sources that I consulted for this episode was uh, written by friend of the pod, Victor Grossmann, who wrote an article about the history of Bayer and IG uh, Farben following Bayer's acquisition of Monsanto back in 2016. And in his piece, he wrote that uh, during the early 1930s, IG Farben, which included, of course, Bayer, became the single largest donor to the election campaign of Adolf Hitler. Although it was slightly reluctant at first because some of its key scientists were Jewish, in the decisive year before Hitler won power, IG Farben donated 400,000 marks to him and his Nazi party. This was amply rewarded. IG Farben, with Bayer, became the largest, single largest profiteer of German conquests in World War II. Right at the beginning, huh? Yeah, in there it, we are. <laughs> in it right from the beginning. Um, yes, yeah, so as uh, part of the IG Farben conglomerate, the Bayer company was complicit in uh, many crimes of the Third Reich. This is taken now from the website of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum. Uh, they say that in its most criminal activities, Bayer took advantage of the absence of legal and ethical constraints on medical experimentation to test its drugs on unwilling human subjects. Testing drugs on uh, deliberately infected patients at uh, multiple concentration Ugh. camps. And it just gives you chill. Like I, I hate, I hate this stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's really so disgusting. Gross. It's it's really awful. And uh, we mentioned the use of of slave labor too among German companies at this time. Um, so of course that was also the case with IG Farben and Bayer. Um, so it's by nineteen forty three, almost half of their workforce consisted of slave labor, um, including thirty thousand Auschwitz prisoners. And uh, they also have connections, of course, with sort of the most notorious, well, a chemical, the most notorious chemical that is used at concentration camps. This being uh, Zyklone B, Cyclone B. Um, which is not actually developed by Bayer, but was developed by uh, Degesch, which was uh, a num another member of the IG Farben conglomerate. Um, so this Zyklon Bay was used uh, in concentration camps to kill roughly 1.1 million people in, in gas chambers. So they had like, yeah, this is fucking grim. Like they had basically full vertical integration on like every level of the Holocaust. Like yeah. both using the people as tests for their products, using slave labor to produce them and using making the chemical or at least a, a partner of theirs yeah. making the chemical that then killed people at like. So, yeah, literally every step of the process, they were somehow involved. What I wanted to say before going into just some statistics on Hugo Boss is that in reference to what Ted was talking about earlier with these companies commissioning their own reports and funding these reports themselves, um, Hugo Boss, the company, suppressed a report written by in 1999 by Elizabeth Tim that they had commissioned. And then once it was done, they refused to like publish it and so she went on to self-publish this first report and then later they commissioned another report which is um, one that I read the kind of English summary of and I found it to be quite the back and forth like that in, in an attempt at nuance it almost obscures the main point of this company used forced labor right 
Yeah, they sort of like they sort of use like nuance as a way to whitewash. It seems like they're like, oh well, on one hand, on the other, and it's like they kept saying like not the, really two hands. <laughs> they kept saying, oh well, the company tried to get better food. Um, they tried to feed them more. Actually, on numerous occasions, they they were seen making attempts at at feeding their workers, and you're like, okay, but they went like this guy Hugo Boss being in the Nazi party had connections with the Gestapo and actually himself went over to Poland to select workers that he wanted in his factory, right? So like total direct involvement. And then so much of the report being about, well, what were their exact uh, working conditions? Yeah. And you're kind of like, mm. Like they had better rations than Auschwitz. Like it was really a lovely place. Yeah, like, or like how how is that your defense? Yeah, well, man? well that's like uh, I didn't read this in my summary of the the bio stuff, but that that Fritz Termeo, who was the one who was then on the on the board of Bio, like after the war, after he was released from prison following the Nuremberg trials, um, he his defense of the use of forced labor in uh, in the bio. Um, production. He said, forced labor did not inflict any remarkable injury, pain, or suffering on the detainees, particularly since the alternative for these workers would have been death anyway. So yeah, it seems like they almost saw this as like, like doing them a service. And I saw this quote being like, my father was, an, was a Nazi. And he, I saw this in like dozens of different papers, you know, both English and German, being like, wow, he's like finally come to terms with it. And there's this other very weird way that in somehow the children of these Nazis and the grandchildren are almost themselves framed as the victims for like, they had to endure like the heaviness of the past and the uncertainty and they wouldn't talk about it. And like, what a burden to know that your fortune comes from like war crimes and forced labor and contracts with the Nazis. And it's always, they're always the protagonists of the story, not the actual victims, which I find like generally very insulting and, and you see that a bit with them like wow the heaviness we had to carry like when we learned about the crimes we all turned white was another one of these quotes and it's like i don't care how you've like emotionally reacted you have over a billion euros yeah. in net worth for not lifting a finger from a company that profited from the national socialist regime like why are we supposed to empathize with you and so yeah this idea now that we know the facts the fog has lifted well, is that really the case? So in the 60s, uh, Rudolf August Utke, he donated an art gallery to his hometown of Bielefeld um, because he wanted to preserve the memory of his stepfather. That's Mr. Richard, oh, sorry, excuse me, Dr. Richard Kozlowski, who led the company during the Nazi era and was also, of course, a staunch Nazi himself. And so there were some big protests for that, but the Richard Kozlowski house stayed there for three decades. And in 1998, um, there was a red-green government in the city and they actually got rid of it. And then Rudolf then took all of the pictures and picked them up. And he said, we don't want anything to do with the city anymore. Um, and he saw a sort of like disloyalty in the decision and he said the withdrawing the pictures was a defiance. But, you know, he still said, oh, no, we can't uh, we can't actually return the pictures that will have to be decided by the next generation. And so it's like, oh, yeah, they're really uh, they're really coming to terms with this horrible past, aren't they? Hey, it's producer Isaac here. 
That was a preview of our premium episode. You can listen to the whole episode if you become a supporter of Spaßbremse on Patreon. There will be a link to our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you're not able to support us monetarily right now, we totally get it. There will be another full-length episode coming to your podcast feeds next week. As always, thank you so much for listening. Tschüss!